0: Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior filmwriter for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Ryan Noth, a filmmaker whose credits include the feature No Heart Feelings, the anthology doc The National Parks Project, and two seasons of the extremely addictive CBC Jam series Farm Crime. His latest feature, Drifting Snow, stars Sonia Smits and Jonas Bonetta as two strangers on a winter drive through eastern Ontario. It's available on VOD platforms today, and you should watch it. It's small, but it's powerful. And to that end, Ryan picked another small, powerful film about a road trip, Old Joy, Kelly Reichardt's 2006 breakout, starring Daniel London and Will Olden as Mark and Kurt, two old friends going to visit a hot spring outside of Portland. They haven't seen each other in a while. Mark settled down and Kurt didn't, but they're hoping to reconnect. They drive out to the country, they walk around, they find the spring, they come back. That's the whole movie. But there's another story playing out underneath, and it's the reason Old Joy never really leaves you once you see it. We discussed that. This is someone else's movie.
1: I can't actually remember where I watched Old Joy, and it's so old that I was wondering if it was on DVD.
0: Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah.
1: Um, because I don't think it was in a theater. I don't remember what festivals. I don't. Did
0: it play TIFF or was it like a? I don't know that it did. I don't think I'd even heard of it until I saw it at home. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they sent me a DVD because it was it was playing at the Blur right. In 2006, in the fall of 2006, and I know this because I went and looked at my review to make sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was absolutely the first time I'd ever heard of it. I I had, I think I had known of River River of Grass, but I hadn't seen it at that point. Yeah. Um. So it was just a total discovery to me. So so you had much the same experience. It just yeah.
1: The, the feeling I remember having about watching old joy was it, it was just like a dream that just passed through my, my head, which I guess is what you can say about your favorite movie anytime really. But like, it was only like 75 minutes. It had that Yola tango score uh, times. And it was like a road trip and just drifting through the Pacific Northwest and like, so kind of like hazy and smoky. And like, it just, it just felt like the next day I could barely pick out the details and remember it, but like, it's something that washed over me and just kind of like, really left an imprint, you know, like, um, and, and I think I might've seen Wendy and Lucy first at a festival and then had rented old joy because I, I'd liked record stuff. But, um, I just remember like, it wasn't even something that left a great impression. It just like stayed with me over, over time. And I just kept going back to it like every few years and, um, and just like being amazed that like how little there is in the film that. Is, is like um, super like powerful in your face, but like how as a combination, all the little details just make it like a really powerful and moving experience.
0: I always come back to the idea of the soap bubble. And I think I've mentioned it somewhere just fairly recently, maybe in another episode of the podcast, and I've recorded these out of order so much that I've no idea which one went where, <laughs> but the the sense that you're watching something so delicate and so perfect that could burst at any moment. And it contains yeah. this whole universe this this wonderful immersive reality of you know two people and a dog and the outside and that's it and you don't need you really don't need the backstory the sense that something went wrong between them just hovers for almost the entire length of the film yeah whatever it was doesn't really matter clearly you know like nobody killed anybody and nobody slept with anybody it's just something that happened to drive these two people on different divergent paths yeah and that's the other thing about it that stunned me when I saw it was, yeah, it's just a tone poem about getting older. Like, yeah, there cool. are no insights. There are no great yeah. revelations, but it touches people. Yeah. At, at just the right point. I guess I'm trying to figure it out. I must've been 38 when I saw it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it came at exactly the right point. Like, yeah. It just, it just felt so. It, not that it was speaking directly to me, but that it was understanding me while I was watching it, which is a weird thing to feel, but yeah. that's how her movies land with me. Totally. And
1: I see this now in hindsight of the rest of her career uh, as a really good companion piece to First Cow. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. they're both set in the forest, they're both two guys, and they're both kind of going like an alternative lifestyle or you know approach and John Raymond the writer
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh is the writer of both and originally wrote them as novels and I actually met John because uh, I was so obsessed with like these first two films I was out west and I tracked him down and I was like can I just have a coffee with you and <laughs> um he was kind enough to meet me for a coffee and and we sort of stayed in touch over email and like basically every film that comes out I'm like this is genius great job you know <laughs> um
0: That's but lovely. uh
1: Um, the short story that this is based on is like, um, has a much more defined ending. Oh yeah. And, and like, it's also very much more from one character's perspective than the other. So what I really like about the film is that you just feel like you're constantly drifting between the two guys perspective wise and, or point of view, but also like you get, you almost feel like you're with the dog at one point, or like, you're just kind of like, just like this almost documentary fly on the wall. Yeah, and that's how it's shot too. You know, like almost like a doc, and I and I read something recently that it was made for like thirty grand, which is crazy. Like, and, and on film it looks like too. You know, so sixteen probably or something. Like, I think yeah, I think so. It
0: yeah. it's it kind of it arrived right in the the, the edge of that mumblecore wave where people yeah. were discovering digital, and I think maybe it's her eye or just the the pacing, but it feels classical instead. Like it's contemporary in that it's happening now. And the concerns are relevant to the present day, but it's, it doesn't matter. It could be happening. You're right. It does tie in nicely with the first cow. It could be happening in 1863 or 42 or whenever it takes place. Yeah. It's, um, it's just so specific that it becomes universal.
1: Yeah, exactly and there's some details too. Like I was just thinking about like when they go to get weed, when they're, they're like, those are things that you just did in that era kind of thing where you gave somebody 15 bucks and you just bought a little bit, as opposed to like, now we just order on, you know, like all yeah, those yeah. different little details are they, when, I love when they talk about um, the, the, all the, the only records or CDs left in the record shop are their friends, like, like being resold, you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. um, this idea that like, they they can see time passing them by in this era and and like obviously now with more time we can look back on it and go wow what an era that was specific to them you know what i mean like the like record shops are just like in that kind of lifestyle of like your friend's band and you like you know going out and meeting people in this way that's pre-internet basically i mean the internet was there but not you know as connected as it was kind of yeah
0: affiliate. well it's the um, it's the end of the non-smartphone era, right? Like it's just yeah. before the iPhone arrives and ruins everything. <laughs> yeah. True, true. So many ways. Cause when you actually had to sit down and be on the internet, as opposed to just carrying it around with you, you could have the life these guys have. You could yeah. go off into the woods and be utterly alone and, and not tethered to anything. And, you know, the part of that whole hipster ma- uh, mystique at the time too, was, the embrace of vinyl and the embrace of old things. And, and there's a, there's a longing in the movie for the life that these guys want to have, but doesn't exist anymore already. Like they're already out of it. And yeah, it's like they to rekindle that friendship that makes them who they were when they were 25.
1: Right. Like trying to rekindle this friendship that was happening before, like they know it's gone and it's an era that they can't get back. But like, there's still this kind of like latent desire to, just reconnect or at least specifically in will oldham's character like much more obviously like it seems to mean more to him although maybe it's debatable at the end and the ending for me like i remember first watching it i just went totally over my head i didn't get it maybe the first two or three times and even like more lately when i watch it i started flipping the other way and i'm like maybe i was right in the beginning and not to read too much into it because when his hand slips into the water Right. Like to me, it can insinuate so many different paths of where it went, even though we cut out of the scene. Right. Like we don't see what happened, but like did something more happen between them? There's that, there's that, there's kind of that tension. And like, I, that's what I love so much about all her work is like what actually happened in that space we didn't see or something, you know?
0: Um, yeah. yeah. And,
1: and I know she talks a lot about John's writing in some articles I've read about how he, he leaves space for her to find those moments in her films uh, and she—that's what she likes about his writing, and why they work together so often. So,
0: yeah, it's there. There's a—it's not ambiguity, right? It's potential. It's the the possibilities yeah. that she packs into the frame. Um, I was going to say it runs through all like Night Moves, especially, is all about not knowing yeah. what motivates people. But I was thinking of something like Wendy and Lucy, where it's utterly concrete until the ending, which is also concrete. Uh, yeah, we, we know how the movie ends, but Wendy doesn't right and that's what's so heartbreaking yeah like i think so she true. she believes what she's saying yeah and we know it's not going to happen yeah 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 um, and old no, Joy, wow, i
1: never thought of it that way that's so harsh yeah it's oh, true
0: god yeah no i saw that um the one time i went to Cannes, yeah uh was 2008 and wendy and lucy was there and i had to go be alone for an hour <laughs> I, just, I had you know because i had lost a yellow lab uh, a year and a half earlier. And it's just like, wow. no one can talk to me. I have, it was the last movie I saw on the second or third day, I think. And I just, I had to go walk around the the Mediterranean oh. uh, coast by myself for an hour at like 1130 in the uh, I, French I, night.
1: I saw Wendy and Lucy in Rotterdam. So it must've been the same year or yeah. the year after, well, the, the cycle after whatever, but, um, and yeah, that, and then I remember we had to rush to a party right after because like I had a film there and stuff. And so it was like, wow, like my, oh, my whole mind, half my mind was just like thinking about that while I was at this party trying to like talk to people. And, you know, yeah. I just couldn't couldn't let it go. It was so strong. It was just incredible.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, no, but, she's such a remarkable filmmaker.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry, you're about to say. No, no, no. Uh, just like I'm kind of watching it as we're talking, just like playing it in the background and, you know, just amazed at like again, this, the way they communicate without, um, like without the internet, but like to the point that he has to go get them and he's not there. He's not, he's wait, he waits on the porch for him. And then Kurt is like, uh, well, oh, why don't we take your car? Cause basically I'm living out of my car, my van or whatever. Like, it's just so, and it's so Pacific Northwest in that era to me, like the van has at least stickers on it and stuff. And like, it's just, and, and he, he's just putting a TV into the van for some reason, you know, he just, why did he get a TV? Like, you know, he's living in his van. Like it doesn't, none of it seems to make sense, but in a weird way, I think that, uh, is it Daniel London?
0: Uh, Daniel. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, what, what's his character's name? I can't remember. Mark, 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 yeah. and,
0: Mark and Kurt. Yeah.
1: Like he totally wants to be brought on this adventure. It feels like, you know, the whole time he wants to like slip back away from the kind of like, misleading opening which is like with his wife and the meditation bell and him being at home and trying to like have this domestic sphere but that it keeps getting kind of broken by like a blender or like the phone call or all these things and you know he wants to go on this trip but I think he also kind of it feels like he kind of wants to be in that world that Kurt is straddling a bit even though obviously like it's it's a dangerous path to go down because Kurt is pretty much homeless you know what i mean like um but there's like that allure of like we can just get on the road and go to the forest and everything will be okay because there's a hot spring and like we're dudes and we'll just have a great time you know
0: like so yeah Um, and that kerouac illusion of freedom that you know nobody like kerouac didn't manage it nobody does that nobody does it successfully but but yeah he wants to mark wants to fool himself into thinking kurt has it right and maybe kurt Desperately needs Mark's approval, even though I mean, th- there's this thing that Oldham does where he's just out of sync with everything around him. Yeah, it's like he's he waits a little too long before he talks. He thinks <laughs> like he's so lost in his own head that his his posture isn't right sometimes. That you can just sort of feel him forget to pose himself, and it's all it's clearly acted. It's conscious. It's it's a performance, right. but it's remarkable in how fluid it is and how it sort of permeates everything he does and, and the like the van becomes an extension of that and just the sort of this lack of attention to detail that he has mm-hmm. where oh the hot springs this way and and they get yeah. there he's not wrong yeah. yeah yeah but it doesn't feel like he doesn't feel like he's a confident person in his own life like he's in, in any kind of control of it yeah and that is is weird and unsettling to watch in a movie, right? Because you just keep bracing yourself for something to go terribly, terribly wrong. And I think the, the most tense the film ever gets is when somebody raises his voice for a second. It's just not that movie, but there's this sense of, of, of seething something that's missing between the two of them. And are they trying to plug it back in? Are they trying to figure that out or is it just something that they'll never talk about? Like this unacknowledged tension that runs through their entire lives
1: yeah and like I feel like watching it too there's looking at some images of you know Mark driving obviously his his vehicle but like if you think of it as you're the viewer and you're you're with Mark and this guy's taking you on this ride but doesn't really know where he's going it's the same thing as the movie kind of like it just kind of goes and then like it gets figured out in the end and you just kind of roll with it and I mean I guess that's that's what Reichert's movies kind of are like you have a general idea of like where it might be going but like it's almost irrelevant if i told you like a right cut movie starts at a and ends at b because like it's all the stuff in between that is like the interesting stuff you know what i mean so
0: yeah yeah. um
1: and that i don't even like i it's so hard for me to fathom as a filmmaker like how her and and raymond are able to create those worlds where it's like there's it's like you said the specifics the detail of the era of the characters and of their lives or context are so sharp but they're not like overly like dramatized you know what i mean um they're just like imbued in the characters and mark has this kind of sense of like not dread but like it is he is kurt gonna do something crazy at any moment almost do you know what i mean like is he gonna throw him off or something like that
0: um apprehension right yeah he's he's braced and we can feel it yeah sort of it reads through his shoulders it reads through his body in a in an unnerving way um the 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 uk box set that i was Playing with earlier has uh, an essay in there by Larry Fessenden, um, hmm. who's her, her frequent producer yeah. and occasional co star. And um, he mentions that there's a hint of a potential of psychosexual murder. And it's just like, that's exactly right. That's exactly wow. what that is. Yeah. But I think if you mentioned it to either character, they'd be horrified. Yeah. <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah. Because yeah.
0: that's not who they are, and yeah. it's this the contrast between how you know how Kurt obviously sees himself and and how Mark sees him, and how and how Mark wants to see Mark, and how how you know the person he wants to be isn't the person he is, yeah, or vice versa, and I'm not sure which, but yeah. each of them like would really be happy being the other person for a while, or at least they think they would, and again, never spoken, never discussed, just there. Yeah. And we get it. We understand that rhythm from this movie that, you know, features people. I mean, I, I knew who Will Oldham was, but I'd never seen him act before. Yeah. And it was like discovering this fully formed world that I didn't even know existed.
1: Yeah. No, he's incredible. And like, you know, I really like what she did, like with the the music that like sometimes when you're working with a Will Oldham or someone like that in a role, you might be inclined to use some of his music or some of his his. It, yeah and even not with lyrics but just some of his output or whatever but like sure, yeah. the fact she went the yola tango route which is very incongruous for the rest of her career which is basically no music whatsoever or or score maybe but like very minimal like this is i mean there's something about this that just like cruises along for me on this wave because like you get those like amazing like ambient moments of like just highways and like trees and these like really lightly like picked guitar lines that are super reverby and just kind of dreamy and like it, it's your point about the mumblecore is really interesting because um mumblecore like went on this is so we're saying 2006 yeah. or no 2008 okay so yeah like it was kind of ending around the end of that decade right like
0: yeah it, the the big um yeah the duplass brothers had already started to go mainstream and yeah the, uh, and and um, swanberg was branching out and becoming a more producer than filmmaker like 2008 2009 there was a festival uh also at the Blur actually in toronto either in 2008 or 2009 that had stuff like nights and weekends and right maybe eight or nine films over three days and it was it was great because you just got a sense of what was possible and also what wasn't possible and like exactly how far people could push the format frownland that was the other one yeah a really big one and um Yeah. Reichardt's films just sort of slid past. They weren't, they weren't included in the wave.
1: That's the thing. It's really fascinating. I never thought about it in that perspective because like in reality, this is almost like an anti-Mumblecore, but like it still has like some of the tenets of it. You know what I mean? Like it visually or um, like, like editing pacing, those kind of things. Like it's, it's the opposite of those and framing and stuff. But like, in their conversations and in like how the movie just kind of like slips from place to place and like detail to detail. It's totally a mumblecore adventure story. You know
0: what I mean? So. Yeah. 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 um, I I think as long as the focus is philosophical, you can count (laughs) somehow as a, as a mumblecore movie, but her interests are just not the same. Like it's not shaggy in the same way and it's not, um, underfed, I think is a word I would use. Not mm-hmm. underdeveloped, but a lot of the Mumblecore movies were just sort of satisfied at having brought themselves into existence. You get the feeling right. that if you push it any further, the, they would collapse. Old Joy yeah. doesn't have that... That I mean, it's it, it It's light, it's gossamer, but it's strong. It's like spider silk. It, it's not going to crack. It's not going to snap. It's fully contained.
1: Yeah. And I think too, framing-wise, like a lot of like I'm trying to think of her films since this time and how they're a little more rigorous in their framing. And this has a bit more handheld feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of it is the budget and the resources and all those things, but like, they still do this one really cool shot at the gas station where they're like in the back of the car with the dog and like watch the characters come toward the car and then open the trunk and like put it in. It's just like they, they, she got creative and like, within her means. And then there's always these nice tableaus, but like the funny thing to me is I was watching it for research for my feature that I made. Cause I, it was really, I was, it was a big inspiration for me. Um, and I was like, let's, I want to check out the driving shots, like the shots of the car driving and them in it, or like, how did they do that? Or just the exteriors of what they were shooting, like the forest and the river going by. And like, a lot of them are not good, like qualitatively, like, or qualitatively, yeah, on their own they're just like not great shots, you know, like they're, they're shaky and they're like off kilter. And like, you know, I, I, like it's, it's very strange from a production point of view that they're, they're not ideal shots in a way, but like the, they're in this movie that it somehow as, as a, some of its parts just doesn't matter. It's just like, you can't pinpoint and say, oh, yeah, that shot's not great. You know, like the movie sucks or like this thing, like, it's just the whole world is like that vibe and i don't know like that's to me that's kind of the greatest achievement of the movie is like like you you can almost watch any frame and go yeah that's that's a nice frame that's a nice shot that's a nice line of dialogue that's a nice whatever you know but like it's only when when you take in the whole thing and ideally in one one viewing it's only 75 minutes so why not but like and maybe that's what the best films are Is just like when you when the whole thing washes over you and like, yeah, you could nitpick some details, but like, what's the point? Because like the whole film is just so beautiful as a poem or as a, as a, a complete piece, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I was wondering the last time I watched it, if it isn't some kind of strange subjectivity that's going on where I, I've, I found myself wondering this time if they were going to look at me. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. It feels like we're tagging along. And had they turned and looked straight down the barrel, had someone acknowledged the camera, I don't think the film would be any different. Like, it would just be part of that.
1: Yeah, unless Haneke directed it or something, then it would go off. Well, yeah, Yeah.
0: something terrible would happen and the camera would beat me (laughs) to death. But um, yeah, and maybe it's just as simple as... Having Lucy there, having you know yeah. Reichardt's own dog who will yep. co-star in her next film, yeah, um, be part of it, and she's constantly kind of throwing her gaze around and looking around, and she, um, she's present in a way that most dog actors aren't. I don't know how to describe it. Um, I, I interviewed Reichardt, um at TIFF the year of Wendy and Lucy, and she said that Lucy, like it's just it's cheaper than getting a, an animal actor, and also that she trusts her and she knows that. She'll do like in both cases, the dog would just, wherever the ball is, that's where the dog is going to look. And she knew Lucy well enough to trust that uh, if she gave one of the actors the ball that Lucy wouldn't go very far. Right. And, and it's, a, again, it's like this kind of weird confidence that the camera has in everything that just makes it feel natural and unplanned.
1: hmm Yeah. Yeah. That's a strange story about, about <laughs> Lucy. Like it's, it's, and I read too it's that mostly like. Mostly
0: it was a stick, but with, with this one, it yeah.
1: was a ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I read that like, so this one was made for 30 and then Wendy and Lucy 300, um, thousand. And I was just like, wow, even that seems small for like Michelle Williams and like, you know, what they pulled off of that again, like shorter for a feature, but like the leap from, from old joy and Wendy and Lucy seems very significant in a, in a, I don't know, like career professional move and rivers, river of grass. Like I remember seeing it in the, um, when uh, I forget who it was, did a, a re-release? Um,
0: oh, the restoration that came out a few years. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. Um, it was I at like crowdfunded that. You did? Yeah. Nice. I, well, not not entirely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was part of the Kickstarter. I I just I. How do you not? Right.
1: Yeah, and so I'd never seen it, and when I saw the restoration, though, I was like, I still think like like the jump from that to Old Joyce is is hugely significant, and then from from this to Wendy and Lucy. And then after that, it's like she just like embraced all her powers and like she's at this super level like of just making films that are so so patient and poignant and complex and like they're kind of to me the um Alice Monroe kind of short stories of the cinema where they're like there is so much going on like um that's not being discussed and that's what's what the
0: movie's about, you know? Um yeah. I mean, like certain women practically is a short story collection. Yeah. Yeah. Structurally and, and just in its heart.
1: Yeah. And there's one Alice Monroe collection called open secrets. And that's what I love about. That's why, that's what I relate to like a lot of these stories that record makes is like in night moves too. It's like, you kind of know what's going to go on or what's happening, but then like it takes a twist and we know things the characters don't know, just like in, in um, old joy. Mm-hmm. And We know when they go off the trail that like, they're either not, or we think they're not going to find what they're looking for. They're going to get lost and they do, but then they kind of find this discussion that we've kind of wanted them to have, or we didn't know we wanted them to have, but we wanted them to have around the fire at night. You know what I mean? Like, um, and that is so satisfying because it's like, he finally not said something meaningful, but like said something that like brought out that latent tension or emotion that we've been feeling the whole time. And it just like, it's kind of cathartic as a viewer to finally, you know, have them just like get out at each other almost, you know what I mean? So.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah so much of her films are dependent on the audience. Like they just, you know, I, I, I've used this example all the time, but the Transformers movies don't need us. They're they, right. like people in the theater are almost irrelevant. They're not built for applause or interaction or thought they exist to make noise and money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are filmmakers who, you know, Soderbergh is another one. Um, Haneke probably is another one too, who depend on people understanding the work for the work to mm-hmm. live. And yeah. Reichardt's always been like, you can feel the communication. You can feel the attempt at communication. And, and so many of her movies are just about people trying to understand each other, which is like the source of all drama. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Old Joy was the first one where, well, the, uh, what, it was the first one of her films that I saw, but it was the movie that just hit so hard and, and it's like, oh, I'm going to follow this person forever. She's, yeah. this isn't a fluke. Whatever this is, this is an aesthetic. Yeah. This is intentional. And yeah, yeah um, it's just, it's been such a rewarding journey <laughs> over <laughs> sure. what, 15 years now. It's, yeah, uh, yeah it's wonderful sh- to watch what sh- she's done. I think
1: she's my favorite filmmaker, you know, like in the past decade, 15 years, whatever it's been. Like, I just like on a consistent basis, I don't really get that much more excited for a new film from someone like other than her. Like, I mean, I've had my moments with others for sure, but like, um, (laughs) uh, and I know her, her output's been like fairly consistent like over the past decade, like every few years, you know? So like two or three. um, And the scale that she's gone up to too, with like Meek's cut off and like, all these other films has been really fascinating to watch. Um, and like no less entertaining than any of the other films. And the fact she does period pieces, but like, is not just doing like a period piece with like, I don't know, like a better camera, you know, (laughs) like a lot of period pieces feel like today or like a slight change or like more comedy or something like that. She does them with like, like from like, a weird documentary verite perspective. And I guess that's like an element of, of old joy too. It feels like you're just kind of like, you're literally that Frederick Wiseman, like almost like fly on the wall. And like, you're like, okay, I guess I'm here stuck, like watching these guys trying to find a place to go and get to and have a good time. And now, oh shit. Now we're lost together. And like, now what do we do? Like, oh, okay. We're going to sit around the the fire and, and drink, you know, of course that's what we're going to do. You know, like it's just a very, um, almost like reality TV scenario um, yeah, that just of. is like filmed with much more visual panache. Like,
0: In as much as there is a progression of events, it's not even a plot. It's just, they go there and they come back. That's, that's yes. really all that happens. But there is a, a life to it and a, yeah. and a fascination to it that it's, um oh, I know. I'm thinking of the link later. I'm thinking of the before films, right? Like if there was another movie, if she did one of these every nine or ten years and, and just caught up with Carlin Mark, right um, yeah, that'd be amazing. I you... would want to see that. I also don't want them, right i right. I don't I don't need it, yeah, in the same way. I don't want a sequel to Wendy and Lucy or I don't want to catch yeah. up with Wendy and find her. maybe she made it to Alaska, but she's miserable. I don't it okay. doesn't matter right like they they exist in that window of time that I spent with them, and I, I think For that's- sure. That's all we should have. You should wonder forever. Yeah. Um, But there's enough richness in the worlds that she creates that I would happily go back to. If she said there was a story worth telling, I would believe her.
1: Yeah. And interestingly, in the short story at the end of it, so at the end of this movie, which like is always really hard to remember what happens, like the actual final shots. And like, there's really not much. That's the thing. (laughs) Mark goes home. Yeah. And, but like in the, in the short story, Um, he actually goes out another day and Mark does, and he sees Kurt like in a sort of down and out area um, in the downtown, like kind of panhandling and looking for money and things like that. And instead of going to him or saying anything or letting him, letting Kurt see him, he just kind of like drives away. And it, it, it kind of has the same effect. And when you're reading it, the, the short story is much more about Mark's perspective or from Mark's perspective. Mm-hmm. So that makes more sense in a, in a way at the end. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to me that in the movie, they didn't even try and go for some kind of like, I mean, classic Riker, but they didn't try and go for a, a, some kind of more definitive ending of some kind, you know, like it's just completely wide open. So, yeah.
0: yeah. But that's her thing. That's, I know I mean, <laughs> the the closest she's come to, uh, I mean, I, uh, well, you know, we talked about Wendy and Lucy having a pretty clear ending for the audience, yeah. but I was going to say something like uh, Night Moves, which is kind of direct. We, we, the story has a deliberate end, even yeah. if it's not the end of a character's story. Right. Um, but that's the, the one time she sort of moved into genre almost and and tried to acknowledge thriller mechanics, but it's so clear that's not where her interest lies. Yeah. Um, not to the detriment of the movie either, which I find fascinating. It's just this great argument between telling a paranoia movie story and telling a Kelly Reichardt story. Yeah. And just like, no, I think I'm going to I'm gonna go this way because that's where I go.
1: Yeah. And I,
0: I love the fact that she didn't really try to bend to fit the material. Uh, although I will say that the audience I saw it with at TIFF that year was incredibly unsatisfied with it. And yeah. they wanted justice. And it's like, that is not what she's about.
1: Yeah. I think Night Moves is underrated. And, and cause I remember on first viewing too, I was like, I don't know, like this is, and then I, I watched it again. And I was like, wow, this is actually really good. And I didn't realize how good it is like at the first viewing. So I think it's going to have a, a sort of comeback in her. I don't know. Cause I, I remember it getting kind of like, not negative, but like not great critical response and like being this, like people saying it's a weird mashup, which it is, but like, I think it's actually really fascinating. And like, you know, Eisenberg is, whatever but like he still has his moments in it too like that are really good so yeah um i think it's yeah it's kind of been forgotten i mean because she makes so much good stuff (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to like just quibble with any of it but yeah
0: um well and her you know and it is sort of the odd man out in her filmography too it's just it doesn't feel like one of her movies until you watch it the second time and you realize it's exactly like everything else she's ever made it just it's just darker and meaner
1: yeah, like I always remember from my second viewing is when he reaches down and touches the dead deer in the beginning, like that's on the side of the road, and then like pushes it over the edge. And it's just like that's like only a Riker moment. Like that's not like whatever they're trying to genrefy it or bend it, like that's like her putting that in there. Cause like it's amazing and it like says so much about him and like what he's gonna go through. And so um, yeah, I'm uh I'm wondering about um you know old joy here. So I feel like we should discuss the ending more. <laughs> sure, we can if you want. Because I want to... So before I say anything, I want to know like what you... Like where does your mind go with that ending? Or like not the ending, but like the, I guess, the sort of pre-ending technically, the, uh, the the sauna scene or the bath scene and what happens there, which to me is the climax, I guess, of the film. Like what's your interpretation? And did it change from first viewing to, you know, repeated viewing? Oh, viewings?
0: I wonder. I, I don't think it's ever... I don't think I've ever changed my feeling about it. It's really, I don't have an interpretation. I don't think I just, okay. it feels like a moment where again, like there's a potential for something and maybe it's violence and maybe it's not. Right, And I just, I think the fact that neither of them can articulate what it is that might be happening yeah, is the point to me. Right. It's that, I, right. you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's an attraction. I don't know if like, you get the sense that maybe this has happened before and this is why they haven't seen each other in so long, whatever this energy is, whatever it is going on. I like, guess is, yeah. is Kurt attracted to Mark? Is he, has he tried this before was the whole thing? I guess actually that's not what I said about it. Not changing. Isn't true. I think over the years I've, I've decided that this whole trip has been an attempt to get Mark in that situation. Interesting. But Kurt doesn't know what he wants. That's the thing right. I've, I've come to decide that yeah. I don't know if it's a gay thing. I don't know if he just wants a hug that no one will give him. If he, if he can't, it's the thing about being out of sync. I don't think he knows how to express whatever it is he wants. Mm-hmm. And that is what freaks Mark out. And I suspect that's exactly how it went the last time yep. that it's just, it's an inappropriate circumstance uh, compounded by a gesture that isn't very well articulated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know what it is. Like I, I I think that's that's what fascinates me about it is that the movie gives you absolutely no direction on yeah. what's happening. And it's so oh. disorienting. Yeah, totally.
1: I'm I'm watching the final couple shots of that bass scene right now. And like so basically there's a point where uh Mark is feeling uncomfortable, whether mm. because he's giving him a bad massage or just he's feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and then he he relaxes and kurt continues and then his hand which has a wedding ring on it slips off into the bath yeah. and i i didn't pick up on that my first few viewings that's one of ours to me that has much more significance as i've watched it more often and just made me like yeah because then you see like a close up of kurt massaging him um and then you see a close up of mark receiving the massage and then and then that's about it and then it cuts to like a waterfall and some nature shots and then they're walking away And I mean, that's, that's the beauty of how she tells the story and they, and Mark seems to enjoy it by the end of the actual massage. Like he seems like, you know, almost like a, it's definitely some kind of sensual way, whether it's like emotional meant like whatever he's receiving it in, like, it's not, it's a positive thing. So in a weird way, it's almost like they've come to an understanding without saying anything even though maybe they aren't either one of them any clearer about their, their feelings, you know, Yeah, Um, which is kind of like, maybe you've had this like a common, maybe male experience where you go out with someone on a road trip or into the woods and camp or whatever. And, you know, sensual bath experience aside, you, you know, (laughs) you, you have a bonding experience of some kind and then like you just drive back like, and it seems kind of, anticlimactic and straightforward and you know it's just kind of like that was that moment you know so yeah yeah.
0: well i think men yeah i western i'm just gonna say western men but that sounds stupid i think the concept of masculinity at this point has become about building fortresses for ourselves right like everybody has to you can have designated emotional outbursts but they have to be because somebody died or because something really bad or because your, your car got dented or something like we've, we've, we've seen how it is expected for men to behave. And yeah, we're not talkers or sharers by culture. Um, And that like, it's a huge problem, I think. And, and um, part of the, like part of the weird hipster look of, of, of Kurt comes out of like, feels like, I mean, it's, it's pre-hipster. Everybody else is going to look like him in 10 years time, <laughs> but in 2006, he looks like he's left over from the iron John movement of the nineties. That weird, <laughs> yeah. soft feeling, you know, male, male poet warrior thing, yeah. which, which was kind of bullshit, but also kind of not the worst idea right. to get people. The problem with getting people to talk about their feelings is a lot of people don't have anything to say. Right. Um, and Reichart is listening Uh, to the silences, to the, to the way that they don't communicate. And that's the thing that struck me as feeling real because that's exactly the experience that I had when I was in my twenties with friends who just, and myself included, like we were just, we weren't capable of uh, articulating how we were feeling about anything. Yeah. Just, we didn't have the, we didn't have the textbooks. We didn't, we didn't know how to discuss our feelings.
1: Yeah. But what Kurt can tell you about is like how he went to this awesome beach party and like had sex with this woman and like did all these things, but like he can't, whatever his real sort of love or feelings are, you definitely get the sense that like he can't, he can't breach that. And he only did in that like drunken moment because like, you know, he was presumably drunk. Like that's the reason why. it I mean, it wanted to come out, but that yeah. seems like it was the excuse, you know, yeah, he um, found a
0: way to let his guard down.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Consciously
0: or unconsciously.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's. I mean, it now makes me, like, the more we talk about it, it makes me feel really sad for Kurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, whereas Mark, I was like, okay, he's got, I mean, maybe that was always the case. Mark has his shit sort of together in the sense he has a life planned, and Kurt is so drifting. Maybe that's, you're you bound to feel that way. But the more we discuss the psychology of it, the more I feel... Um, worse for Kurt because even though Mark can't express himself either um, yeah. it seems more damning for Kurt like that's that's the thing that's gonna stop him from you know li- moving out of his van or
0: like you know yeah well uh, like Kurt is lost like yeah. he, he's uh, and maybe he sees Mark as a as a way to moor himself as a way to to lock himself back into some kind of trajectory or some kind of life but that doesn't yeah. happen right And yeah. and whether he ever says it to him whether he desperately needs to tell him it's it's all in oldham's performance like he's always about to do the thing that he needs to do but he never does yeah so you just feel i mean you feel profoundly sorry for him i i assume they'll never see each other again i think they'll think of each other all the time but i don't think they'll ever see each other again and that's just heartbreaking yeah
1: yeah even though we only spent 24 hours with them, you know what I mean? Like in a car going to a hospital like when you're like, oh, this is heartbreaking, they'll never see each other again. It's like the relationship we saw with them was complex. It was not easy. It was they had fun, but like they also like got lost and didn't, you know, like it wasn't like a it's like we're putting so much uh not faith, but like some kind of belief in this relationship they have and yeah. we're only with them for 24 hours, you know? So Yeah.
0: There's a, there's a Sinead O'Connor song on one of her early albums called, this is the last day of our acquaintance. And it's a breakup song, but yeah. it's angry. This isn't yeah. like, this isn't angry, but that title would have been absolutely perfect for this movie. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I, I think again, it's, it's a movie that has this incredible wisdom about what it's showing us. The characters don't know like Wendy at the end of Wendy and Lucy, they don't know where their futures are going, but we can tell. And the movie knows it and it's feeling like it's, it's heart is breaking for them. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's part of the observer thing too. Like we just, you're, you you have no choice by the end of the movie, but to feel the way Reichardt feels about them.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking too, like, I mean, do all the characters in Rikert's movie like go their separate ways at the end it almost feels it. like it
0: well meeks cut off leaves everybody lost
1: yeah so but they're gonna make a decision <laughs> could... to go and probably go different ways you know what i mean like
0: oh I don't the, the party will splinter off i just assume yeah. they're all like they're, they're gonna die around the next yeah mountain. sure uh <laughs> that wa- we, like we've been watching the Donner party we just didn't know it
1: yeah um, But, like even meeks is all about um going deciding whether you're gonna go your own way you know what i mean yeah, so it's yeah like <laughs> they're At pioneers the almost every movie people separate right yeah
0: i think certain women has an ambiguity to a yeah. couple
1: of characters but
0: yeah. yeah they're they're on their own trajectories certainly by the end of it
1: yeah to the point like um i forget her name but when she drives her truck off the road near the end of uh certain women uh and it just like literally goes through a fence you know like it's like she can't control like the fact that she's separating from this person she loves uh, yeah. Um, in it. So like, wow, I never really realized that, that like I, almost as a dramatic strategy, the characters come together in the beginning and then basically are forced apart by the end of it, whether it's Wendy and Lucy or, you know, these guys. And, um, and this is interesting too, because, you know, she hasn't really made, not that she needs to, but like, this is the film about, kind of guys that she made you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. and she like nailed it so hard (laughs) (laughs) to me but like um after that it's kind of like i don't know what her motivation is obviously but like it it's like she just did that and it's like this like she just painted it with like a perfect few brush strokes you know it's like she almost doesn't have to ever say anything again about men (laughs) or something you know what i mean like um not that she doesn't in her other works either by their absence or by who they are but like obviously the folk, the protagonists in her other movies are all fe- generally female. So. Yeah. Well, and except both. for first
0: cow, right? First cow, she's, yeah. 15 years later, she's revisited it with yeah a yeah. story about two men. But even that relationship is I mean, just by, by virtue of taking place in the 19th century. It can't be the same as, as the, the masculinity of old joy.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. It's, it's much more formal and, and reserved in its. And plus yeah. we're seeing the beginning of a friendship rather than the end. Exactly. Although maybe and that's although, why
1: they also part ways at the end of that too. Yeah, yeah. So um, we see the beginning, I guess, and the end. And that's, you know, and then another interesting thing is just like the time, like this movie is like 24, 48 hours, whatever it is. Um, Wendy and Lucy is maybe 72 hours or something like that. Like I the time so, of the yeah. movie. Two nights and, go by. Yeah. And then like, even then Meeks, I guess, is like a contained week or whatever. it's almost like everyone got a bit longer or something like that. <laughs> And the first cow is like a a bit more extensive amount of time that you can actually see the start of a relationship a friendship and the end of it in the same movie. Um, But it's, it's really curious to me how old joy is like, is yeah, just that very contained sense of time. And it, it, maybe that's what makes it feel so fleeting. You know what I mean? That like you, you literally feel like you're with them, even though you're obviously not for like every minute of that, Day or time they spend together, you
0: know. Yeah, well, it's the it's the linklater thing, right? Like the twenty four yeah. hours or six hours or ten hours that take place in the before movies or some of those other yeah. films. There is something really compelling about limiting the window of a film. Uh, mm-hmm. I just saw what did I just see? That was it takes place over the course of a day. Oh, I revisited true crime for podcasts, like it's nineteen ninety nine, the Clint Eastwood film, which takes place okay. over twenty four hours and is just the slackest slowest paced clockwork <laughs> thriller. And it just, they're like, someone's going to die at midnight and it has no intensity at all. And the time it takes to, to tell its story feels like you're spending a full day with them, but not in the right way. Right. Um, but yeah, in the right hands, that kind of limitation becomes an incredible strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Reichardt obviously knew how she could do it. Right. Like she could pace it properly and she could do it gently enough that it does feel like that much time is going by, even though. Yeah. You know, it's shorter than almost any other feature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I read, it was a 20 page short story, a 50 page treatment or, or script mm-hmm. and then a 75 minute finished film, which makes sense. Cause it's like, even as a script, like, what are you actually going to write? Like there's dialogue, but like the scenes themselves are, are pretty sparse you know what i mean like there's not a lot of description or not a lot of um
0: oh yeah no entire action. scenes are you know they walk further yeah <laughs> uh, and that's fine it works beautifully yeah. the the longers of the film are again for a movie this short the idea that it is so gentle and, and exquisitely paced is kind of striking
1: yeah and it gets quieter too right like it, it, they're talking more and then by the time they get to the hot springs and after it's virtually like not silent but like you know what i mean like it's yeah yeah um what do you, one other thing I always wondered about was the the radio in the car. Do you know much about this? No. It was It's from like an American government uh, news broadcast or something like that. Okay. So it's kind of got a political bent to it. And they're just kind of like, it actually always annoys me when I hear it. Because I'm like, they're just like yammering on about like some like, I don't know, conservative agenda thing or something <laughs> like that, you know, on the radio. And it just seems like, so odd that it got placed in this movie like on purpose and that these guys i guess they're listening to it or it's just on the radio in the background i didn't i didn't get the sense they were actually paying attention to it but like early on when they're driving out and you see some visuals of the exteriors and stuff i guess it kind of just helps set the era the milieu you know like the that these are hippies but they're still in this other world that is kind of around them you know like
0: yeah, um, I, I just assumed it was a commentary on the fact that it is like Bush's America, that it is, it's not going right? to allow for the kind of life that that Kurt wants, that yeah. he is trying to get to something that doesn't exist anymore. And yeah. that maybe Mark being, you know, a future family man has, I, I was trying to figure out if we were being prepped to see him as a sellout, but I don't think that's the case either. I don't think he's abandoned yeah. anything.
1: I think the opening of the film is fascinating too. Cause in the first two minutes you get like this, his wife, the character of the wife is, is very unappealing. I have to say, like, she just kind of like gets upset with him, makes a smoothie and, you know, and maybe she's rightfully upset that he wants to go off when she's pregnant and all this stuff, but like just her, her kind of reaction to everything is so dour. And it's like, it doesn't make you feel like it's a happy um, home kind of environment that they're going to bring this child into necessarily like not that it's a, a a bad environment, just that it doesn't feel like what maybe Kurt might imagine it might be, which is like a happy domestic life. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that Mark has it all, and so it's interesting that that sets us up in the beginning. We see Mark's family, or what, his his wife and and their and, uh, and their soon to be child, and we think like okay he has these things in place but like it's not there's something off with it it's it's not perfect so then when we see kurt uh talking about mark having his stuff together we we know like he might think that but in reality mark's kind of like struggling a little bit and trying to understand how to move forward with things and meditating in his backyard and you know what i mean like he he's trying to find peace like so
0: yeah yeah and again it comes back to lucy being the only person the only character who's just totally happy yeah and their their attention is split like they're yeah. they're in the woods they're having the same experience but neither of them is fully present until the end i think like it yeah. takes it takes almost the whole trip for them to fully disconnect and be themselves and abandon whatever else they were carrying um and the dog is just kind of having a ball which yeah which like i find they, very soothing they yeah
1: for sure they get that uh, cozy cup thing and then I like, toss it back and forth and they just give it to Lucy and she goes to town on it. Cause she's like, so happy to have this thing, you know, it's useless.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing film. And I just think that like the way it just kind of, every time I watch it, I just like, it washes over me and like, um, I just feel like it's, it's a dream unto itself. And like, it's just, it's so short. It's just like, it's, it's really a poem to me and it's it's pretty experimental in a way, you know, like, it's not like, I don't know how many people I would recommend it to without like knowing their taste a bit more. Like, right. you know um, if I'm going to introduce someone to records movies, I might go Wendy and Lucy first, just because Lucy's such a striking dynamic with, with Michelle Williams in it. And like their, their story is so heartfelt and strong and it's a short movie and it's powerful, but like old joy to me is the one that I'm like, like if you have sort of the patience, I guess you need to kind of watch it in a way. I feel like um, you'll be so rewarded. But like, it's only it, it's it's like I'd only recommended people who I, um, I was gonna say really like, but like who no, I no no I who get it like, who I the, you're gonna appreciate this. You're gonna try to appreciate this.
0: You know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, it's it's the third date movie. Like it's yeah. the movie <laughs> it's the movie you try for on the third date, right? To <laughs> see if they get if they really get it, and if they get it, then they get you. What's the first or second date movie then? Ah, something simple, genre picture, yeah. you know, like something, something. Yeah. yeah, something everybody can get behind. But then you test them with the old joy on the third day is what you're saying. Well, you just <laughs> not test them exactly, but you offer it. You want to right. see if they respond to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just one of those things that, yeah, this is special to me and I, I'm trusting you with it.
1: yeah. It's like if you're making a place for someone, and and you'd be like, oh, I I want to put this song because it means a
0: lot to me, but I'm scared it might not mean something to you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of those yeah. movies I wouldn't watch with anybody. Yeah, and you just give it to them and have them go away and watch it and come back later with a report. yeah, exactly.
1: Or you don't say to someone like, uh, hey, like let's have some drinks tonight and watch Old Joy. You know, <laughs> like it's just kind of not that vibe. Yeah. But uh, I
0: suppose you could leave it out and bring someone over and it's like, oh yeah, maybe you like that. Let's find out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a quick enough watch that if, you know, they're still waiting around then you can always watch something else too.
0: Yeah. It's a trust so, game. Yeah. So, um, I mean, is there, I, we sort of touched on it a little bit at the very beginning. Is there an element of old joy? Is there something of Reichardt's work that you've borrowed or, or appropriated for yourself over the years? Um,
1: I definitely think that feeling of um, ephemerality, like, that I really get from the sort of like, it's easy to say driving shots that are whipping by your window and like that you you can recognize, I feel like that, that passage of time or that like, um, like looseness that you're just in the middle of something and it's, it's passing you by and you're just kind of along for the ride. So I think I've always tried to like bring some of that into, into my films and, and my, my new feature is definitely a road trip. So it's like, I definitely went back to a lot of this and I said it in the winter and around the area I live and my chickens are in it. Um, there are no dogs, but they're chickens, <laughs> And uh, you know, um, the sunflowers in the front of my yard that I grew that were dead in the winter are in it. You know what I mean? Like I put all these like things, not necessarily because I think they signify more, um, uh, because they're mine, but because I didn't have much of a budget either. And like they were there and they're powerful image to me that, that, tries to communicate something about a feeling, um, which is the biggest kind of thing I always try and take away from a Reichardt experience. I mean, she's so good with actors and so good with uh, characters and all all that too, but like it's somehow the landscape and the way she treats the landscape as a character that really has attached to me uh, a certain importance on how I think about my films, like geographically and like, um, yeah, landscape wise and things like that.
0: Yeah, it's not just that they're creating an environment, but they're inviting us to live in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that maybe. doc sort of documentary element maybe is like something to do with it too, where you just feel like you're a member of the the people in the story. You know what I mean? You don't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, your uh, No Hard Feelings ten years yeah. ago was shot in like on my block. So yeah. I keep looking, I, keep, I was like watching it. I realized I was kind of looking for myself in the corners. Right. And then I realized that sort of wasn't the point, but it kind well, of is right. Yeah. Like and I remember
1: we, there's a shot in it of like the AGO, the front, the front Geary, like uh swoop still being under construction with like mm-hmm. wood. And it's not finished. And I'm always, was always really happy we had that because I was like, this is like a detail about the city that like will forever be finished. And here's like a little glimpse of it. That's like, not quite there yet. Or like, you know, like I always wanted to shoot it, like rotate this. Cause like, I was like, it's on queen and like five years from now it won't be there. And like, and of course it's not there anymore. <laughs> you know, it moves somewhere. Or like, you know, these little things that moved around. Um, I always kind of wanted to like capture them and document them as something. And because my new film has been delayed. Um, I know that that's happened here now too. Like, um, so there's a Sir John A statue in Picton that, you know, Uh um, was there, but like kind of under construction around it when I shot and, um, now it's like been painted and like, you know, like people have, have done their thing to it, you know, like, and so just seeing, I love when I can capture something that it changes over time, if it's just part of the landscape, but it's part of the fabric, I guess, to me of that community or that space or something like that. So,
0: yeah. yeah and then 20 years later your characters can revisit it and do the before thing. Oh man.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like Reichardt. it's like maybe it's just best to leave those characters where they were and let them like figure have figured things out or not in their minds, you know, but uh yeah, it is it is sometimes tempting to go back and say, "What would have happened to those guys?" you know, like um yeah. But uh I don't know. Tr- making a movie in Toronto now is, is just like, so it would be so different, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. I was well, walking Kensington
0: home, but, isn't even Kensington anymore. I, mean, I know, man.
1: And I was, was walking business home business. late on New Year's Eve, like two, 3am on Dundas. And I was just like, there's no one outside. Like, you know, and I was like, it's late, but like, there's just no one out on the streets. And I started filming because I was like, people are going to want to know what it was like when the streets were completely empty on new year's one night in toronto or something you know what i mean like i don't know where it surfaced for me or why i filmed it but i was just like like shocked that like and i know during the day it's it's much quieter too but like it was a real real shocking experience to me so um yeah
0: mm-hmm. but uh yeah world. yeah the world changes right the uh the city is different every year but yeah it feels like I'm i'm trying to connected to old joy somehow and it's not happening, but
1: uh. yeah, no, I mean, think about old joy being a road trip too. And like the pandemic, like what that's done to the idea of a road trip, you know, like I made my movie two years ago and it was supposed to come out last year and it's a road trip. And now I'm like, what do people think about that? Like where two people would just get in a car together and like drive and like (laughs) um, spend time that close and like, you know, um, go to a diner and do those things that you did pre pandemic. And it's kind of now I feel like it's kind of the point where it's kind of comforting to see those stories, you know? Um, You're like, Oh, right. You could do that and go to a hot spring and not worry about like all the things associated with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of producers have said they don't want to deal with COVID in their television this year because we have enough of it at home. Right. Um, Which I find fascinating. The idea that there will be uh, entire seasons of television produced now that deny reality, like that actively don't acknowledge where still like there's a show called the unicorn with Walton Goggins and, and Michaela Watkins. And all of a sudden this year, there's been a lot more outside stuff. And it's just, right. it's this casual little thing. There's, they're not acknowledging the pandemic, but they're shooting outside in a way they didn't in the first season. And it yeah. just makes me wonder what other weird little tweaks we're going to see 10 mm-hmm. years down the road and watch something, find a rerun of something or just find something on, on Netflix and go, Oh my God, this was made that year. Yeah. And, it's trying so hard not to acknowledge it
1: yeah and when i even when i watch bridgerton or like some of those shows i'm like man this is so like over the top like from a production point of view like you know like i think about it as a like COVID thing like it would cost so much to make this because of the condition. like i think about yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah you know um whereas i've ne- i wouldn't think about those things before and i'm like oh it's just kind of extravagant like they wasted this money on a period giant set and all this you know and i'm like <laughs> but um that's just the uh the cheap doc filmmaker in me, like, getting a bit <laughs> of it, probably, so, <laughs> um,
0: yeah. My thanks to Ryan Noth, whose second feature, Drifting Snow, is now available to rent or buy on VOD platforms across North America. You should watch it. It's pretty good. You can find Ryan on Twitter at RJNoth, all one word, R-J-N-O-T-H, and you can find Old Joy on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection. It's also streaming on the Criterion channel. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing the weekly Now streaming newsletter to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.Substack.com and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast S-E-M-C-A-S-T and on the web at movie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year If you like it or the show in general, please say so Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.